0: Please uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah again tonight and to uh, chapter 61. I, I want to say a few more things about uh, chapter 60 and then uh, look at the first three verses of 61. Our message tonight is good news for the afflicted. Good news for For the afflicted. Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, we're going to look at verses one through three. Let's uh, pray together again. Father, we pray comfort, comfort ye my people. May the spirit who anointed Jesus Christ now be with this church and may the Spirit bring comfort to all who are afflicted by sin and Satan and the world. We pray, O oh God, that you would bring joy in the midst of sorrow and tribulation, that we might rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Isaiah 61. Beginning at verse one and down through verse three, please. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, this morning we were looking at chapter 60 and we were noticing uh, three things. One. Uh, we were uh, noticing that the nations come uh, to the church, that there will be this gospel spreading uh, throughout all the world to the Gentiles. The kingdom of God is going to grow as the largest tree in the garden, and the people will come uh, by the grace and uh, by the ministry of the Spirit. We see that there will be uh, a peace for the church and there will be a consummation. Ultimately, uh, for the church in the new heavens and in the new earth. Now, um, different millennial perspectives, eschatological perspectives, look at Isaiah 60 differently. The premillennialists look at the verses in Isaiah 60 and they view it as the millennium that is ahead. The thousand years Jesus comes and then sets up that millennium, the postmillennialists. Uh, look at these verses and and look to that future uh, age when the spirit revives the church of Christ worldwide before uh, the return of Jesus Christ. And then the amillennial view that these verses uh, speak to the consummation of the kingdom when Christ returns and establishes the new heaven and the new earth. Now, if you ask uh, where I am, for those of you who are new, I am a high octane amillennialist. Um, so I do believe that The postmillennials are right. There is a growth to the church that needs to be taken, I think, seriously. But there also is this consummation where I think Isaiah's language tends to lead us here at the end of of the chapter, that this is not simply an earthly millennium, but it is the, the consummated final state. And I think particularly as you look at Revelation 21 and 22 interpreting Isaiah 60, you see that, I think, much more clearly um, that we are to understand the, those uh, verses at the end of Isaiah 60 as, as John does. And John applies them to the heavenly Jerusalem coming down a, at the end of the age. Now, tonight I want to speak about good news uh, for the afflicted, and I want to do so in two parts. First of all, that Jesus is the anointed one who brings us the comfort we need Jesus is the anointed one who brings us the comfort we need we see this from the first couple lines of verse 1 and then from the latter part of verse 1 to verse 3 that Jesus brings the gospel itself to us so Jesus is the anointed one and Jesus secondly brings the gospel uh, to us now look with me Here at the first few lines of verse one, please. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, these words, of course, were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Isaiah. But we have to understand that Isaiah is not speaking chiefly of himself. Now, for those of you who remember 17 chapters ago in the Gospel of Luke, when we were back in chapter four, we, we saw how Jesus, preaching in his own hometown, read this very passage and applied it to himself. He said that this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Isaiah ultimately was speaking of the Lord Jesus and, and not of himself here. Now, what is the significance of this? The spirit of the Lord God is upon, we could say, him. That is Christ. Christ is saying here, That the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is anointed or is anointing Christ. Christ has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now we have to understand that uh, even though Isaiah was writing 700 years before the time of Christ, he was speaking of the time of Christ. And so the Spirit was given uh, to help Christ In his earthly ministry, we note that when Jesus was baptized, which is the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are told by the gospel writers that after Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist, you remember, resisted at first. He said, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Um, Shouldn't you be anointing us? And Christ says, well, let's just do this, fulfill righteousness for right now. And so John says, "Okay." And so he anoints Christ with water. He baptizes. I guess I gave my hand away on my view of baptism. He uh, he baptizes Christ in the Jordan. And yes, I do believe that he poured the water on his head. Now, why? Well, because the spirit, it's a representation of what the spirit was going to do. The spirit came down like a dove on Christ at his at his baptism. And, you know, you see this in Acts chapters 1 and 2 as well. You remember, it, Jesus himself makes that comparison between the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the baptism. And he said that, you know, John baptized with water, question mark. We all wonder what, what kind of baptism, what was the mode of that baptism? That's what, that's what distinguishes us and them across the street. All right, John baptized with water, but what? Christ says, I'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when we look at Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter, what do we see? The Spirit is anointing those in the upper room. The the tongues of fire are resting upon the head. So I I would argue that the baptism uh, that John did with water was similar. It was a baptism where the water is applied to the head, coming down. You know, boys and girls, um, Jesus Christ, The word Christ means anointed one. It's not just Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. It means anointed one. And we have to ask ourselves if Jesus is the anointed one, when was he anointed? Well, he he was anointed initially at his baptism. And so I would argue John the Baptist, knowing this passage... Knowing Isaiah 61 would do. Listen, the Pharisees are watching John the Baptist like a hawk. They're looking for any little deviation. And John the Baptist, I think, anoints Jesus in baptism with water by pouring on the head. Yeah, Christ wades into the river. Not to be immersed, but that John could then take the water from the river and apply it to the head of Christ. That's what Christ means. He means anointed one. He was anointed at his baptism. Now, Jesus would be driven into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he begins his public ministry. Baptism, the period of fasting and temptation, and then he begins his preaching ministry. Now, Jesus begins with this very passage. He reads it and says it is fulfilled in their hearing. Now, Jesus, we have to understand, is only beginning in his public ministry to fulfill what is written here. But the spirit was upon the Lord. Now, why is this significant? Well, because all that Jesus did, he did with the help of and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you now for those of you who missed adult Sunday school. I've been reading through this book. It's almost a thousand pages of Puritan theology. And um, I'm I'm teaching on it for the next few weeks. So this may be a a, a, uh, commercial here, or I hope it is. But listen to um, what the Puritans say, Beeky and and Mark Jones, uh, about the the role of the Holy Spirit in anointing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they say this, in all of the major events in the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit took a prominent role. The Father decreed that the Son should assume flesh. So that the Son should become incarnate. The Son voluntarily assumed flesh in obedience to the will of the Father. But it is the Holy Spirit who was the immediate divine efficiency Of the incarnation. That is, it is the Spirit, the person of the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit, who brought about the miraculous conception of Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Now, they go on, they say, this was a fitting beginning for Christ since, now listen to this, since Isaiah, whom we're studying, since Isaiah spoke of the Messiah as the one endowed with the Spirit, Isaiah 61, 1 and also Isaiah 42 1. The New Testament confirmed Isaiah's testimony in several places. Noting, for example, that he, Christ, received the Spirit without measure. John three, verse 34. At Christ's baptism, the Spirit descended upon him, Matthew 6 Matthew 3, verse 16. And in Luke 4, the Spirit played a significant role in Christ's temptation. You remember we're told that the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And in that same chapter Christ read from Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2, which we're studying here tonight. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and announced that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy, Luke 4:18. Just a little bit more reading. Moreover, Christ's performance of miracles is attributed to the Holy Spirit. For on the ascription of his mighty works unto Bezebel, he lets the Jews know that therein they have blasphemed whom? The Holy Spirit, whose works indeed they were. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says that Christ offered himself up through the eternal spirit. As Sinclair Ferguson notes, a strong case can be made for understanding the pneuma, that is the spirit, in which Jesus offered himself as referring to the divine spirit. Christ's resurrection is attributed to the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And by his resurrection, Christ was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Now, we have to understand, one of the things you have to understand, congregation, is the spirit is, uh, is, is a person... And he's fully divine, like the other two persons of God's trinity. Um, there are people still today that deny the Holy Spirit as a person. Uh, if you get Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door. Um, in the old days, in the days of the Puritans themselves, they were called Socinians, And the Socinians denied that the Holy Spirit was a person. He was like... Kind of like Star Wars. He was a force. You know, he's a power. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. The Spirit is, is, is kind of like just a power. It's a force. Um, but the, the, the Scriptures make it clear that the Holy Spirit is a divine person as is the Father and as is uh, the Son. And that Christ performed his whole entire life in ministry by the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's ministry Um, was the ministry uh, of the Spirit, in the Spirit, and through the Spirit. uh, Christ did all of these things. Let me just finish here. Because the Spirit was Christ's inseparable companion during his earthly ministry, there is little doubt that Christ called out to his Father by the enabling help of the Spirit, which would impart an implicit Christological emphasis to the words of Romans chapter 8 and And it goes on um, but we we will stop there with the reading and go back here to our text. Here is the point. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Christ, and Christ's ministry is a ministry of the Spirit to you. in the spirit, Christ offered himself up for you, and that even now. The New Testament says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. Paul says this to the Corinthians. And the spirit who anointed the Lord Jesus Christ in order for him to bring this comfort to us. Now, Christ, having accomplished all things and having ascended to the father, now he gives the spirit to you. That is by what Jesus has done by way of the cross And by virtue of his resurrection, the father now having vindicated the son now as a gift to the church, to the bride, the groom gives of his spirit. The spirit is poured out in Acts chapter two. And we have the spirit now. So that in many ways, our condition of which Isaiah is trying to bring comfort is is better than in Isaiah's day. Because of what Isaiah is saying here, the spirit of the Lord God is upon Christ because the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. How does he do that? He does that through the ministry and the power of the spirit. You see, let me put it simply for the children here. You boys and girls need to understand. I've got an advantage over Jesus. In Jesus's earthly ministry, let me say that. I've got an advantage that Jesus didn't have. What's that advantage? Am I a better preacher? No. <laughs> Do I know God better? No. What advantage could I possibly have? The Spirit's been given to you. <laughs> the audience who listens to my preaching, even though my preaching is less than Jesus is preaching, uh, it, it, is, it is helped more because of the ministry of the Spirit. When Jesus preached, the Spirit had not yet been poured out on his audiences. So Christ has to labor uh, uh, among dry bones, if you will, and, and uh, they're not all coming together. I mean, when Jesus is all said and done, he's got 120 people after three years of work in an upper room that, that are praying. Now, I'm not saying that there were only 120 Saved. Not everybody who was saved was there in Jerusalem, but the the point is, look how Peter stands up, and in the first sermon, after the spirit's been given to the church, three thousand people come to faith, and then the next day you get another two thousand. So the church has just grown five thousand members. You just you just did five thousand baptisms. Um. And and it's, again, because not, not because Peter's better. Um, you know, Peter had to be restored. <laughs> Peter denied the Lord just, you know, days, weeks earlier. What is it, the difference? The difference is the spirit that Isaiah speaks here. The spirit which was upon Christ in his ministry, now Christ in his grace, has given us the spirit. Now notice what Christ does through the ministry of the spirit. Number one, he brings good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that there there is a free offer of salvation to people who will believe in Jesus Christ. People who feel the burden of sin and its guilt and people who feel the condemnation of the law can be relieved of the condemnation of the law. They can be delivered from the guilt of their sins objectively and subjectively. Objectively, they are forgiven because the law's demands are satisfied by the perfect work of Jesus and by his blood atonement. Subjectively, the spirit applies the work of Christ to your life so that the the sense of guilt is diminished as well. That the comfort of the spirit is given to the believer, the assurance. So objectively, subjectively, there is good news. Then look at the next line. He is sent. Me to bind up the broken-hearted, those who are grieved and those who are uh, broken over the fallenness of this world, over uh, either sins that they have committed or others have committed, maybe against them, the disappointments of life, when your aspirations have turned to ashes, when your your dreams uh, have fallen short. What, where do we go? We go to a, a sovereign Christ to bind up the brokenhearted. When we, when we expect too much of this world and then we are disappointed, we can go always to Jesus Christ. Then look at the next line. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Who are the captives? These are people who are in bondage to sin. These are people of which we just read about in our larger catechism. People that are enslaved to the devil. You know, if you're not in Christ, you are the servant of the evil one. You you, you cannot help yourself. You may not think you are, but you are. Um, this is often why the devil leaves unconverted people alone. You wonder, why did the wicked prosper so much? Often it's just because, well, hey, the devil's already got them. And so, you know, let let them, let them prosper. Um And then freedom to the prisoner. Someone who uh, is bound, uh, maybe by Satan, maybe by their own sins. Uh, Slavery comes because of a consequence of sin. Sin brings about this slavery in our our lives. And we can't free ourselves. Only the gospel. Jesus Christ gives good news here to that person. And then look at verse 2. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord... This is probably a reference to uh, the Jubilee where the people of God, all debts were forgiven uh, in that year. And people who may have lost uh, their own family inheritance in the land, it was restored to the the family. And then he says also, and it's interesting that when Jesus read this, very interesting here, uh, commentators note this in the Gospels. Jesus ended, I don't know if you've ever noticed, Jesus ended the reading of the scripture at verse 2a. If you read the gospels, he never reads verse 2b. And commentators think that the reason for that is because that up until 2a, that's the the earthly ministry of Christ in the first advent. The second part is his second advent. The day of vengeance was still yet at the end of his ministry. After his heavenly ministry is finished, where Jesus uh, returns back to this world, then we will have this day of vengeance upon unrighteousness and wickedness here. So the first part here, we see that Jesus is the anointed one. He is anointed by the spirit. For the purpose of bringing joy, bringing comfort, bringing good news, bringing liberty uh, to those who will believe and follow him. He cares for the afflicted, those who are broken by sin. Now, this would have been good news even in Isaiah's day because the people were experiencing the rotten uh, results and fruit of, of their disobedience to God. Many of them. We're hearing these prophecies read, for example, in the Babylonian captivity later as they're in in spending 70 years. No doubt they they gathered together on the Sabbath in Babylon and, and had Isaiah read to them and they were broken. But we're also broken by sin and the ministry of the law and the gospel brings relief to those who have been humbled by the law Um. You know, this is why we the Puritans uh, referred to what they called in their preaching law work. One of the reasons we need to preach the law and the gospel is so that people will rightly receive Christ. Um, they need to recognize their human pride and, and that human pride needs to be torn down by the law. There is a sense that people need to despair of their own righteousness apart from Jesus. And uh, this is one of the things that we have to do in preaching i 'm not so certain the church is doing a great job today of of law work um, i don 't know what your experience was when you first read the Puritans, but when I first came across the Puritans, I was probably a Christian for a couple of years before I you know ever really heard about the Puritans or anything and I started reading their book and the experience and i i 've heard from others enough that i know i'm not, I was not alone in this, but you wonder after you read one of their little uh, thin volumes. You think, am I a Christian at all? Um, and 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 it was because the Puritans were so thorough in doing the law work. It really did, though, drive you to Christ. One of the things I think that concerns me sometimes when I hear modern day testimonies, um, they seem to have a different tincture than uh, testimonies of, of bygone ages. Um, when you read. You know, of previous centuries, people seem to really be laboring in the darkness, struggling with their sense of conviction of sin and they're looking for peace and they're praying and uh, they're reading their Bibles and, you know, they're crying out to the Lord and they're, they're not getting much like, sense of comfort. And then, you know, and then it seems, you know, with some time they, they get this, you know, kind of as John Wesley describes, you know, the, the 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 light breaks into the dungeon and the chains fall off. And I, I rose up and I followed after thee. You know, when I listen to modern testimonies today, it, it's, it seems almost more to go like, I, you know, I was successful. I had a good marriage. Uh, I was doing well at, in business, but there was always this something missing in my life. And then I, and then I met Christ. And, you know, that could be the case, but it just seems like I hear that too much. Like Jesus was just the last puzzle piece that was missing in an otherwise pretty good life and and you don't hear about well i was despondent i was convicted of what a jerk i was and uh, you know that i was cheating in my business and you know things like that and and so i'm a little concerned um you know as we discuss the idea of comfort there's also this part of me that thinks there there needs to be some preaching done so that people feel the need for comfort um you don't hear as much about the brokenness, the bondage to sin and despair, um, it seems today, in my opinion. But look at the people who converted to Christ in the Gospels, in Jesus' earthly ministry. Take the Syrophoenician woman. Here, this is a woman in despair. I mean, the, the child is demon-possessed, and, and she's desperate. And she uh, pursues Christ, even when Christ kind of ignores her. She keeps coming after Christ And even then the disciples are getting annoyed and they're telling Jesus, Jesus, why don't you tell her to go away? You know, she's a Gentile. She's not really a Jew, you know, and she keeps coming after you. And so Jesus, though, does speak to the woman and says, you know, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. You're a Gentile. You're a dog. And and instead of that putting her off, she seizes that as an opportunity to lay hold of him all the more. She says, oh, yeah, but you know what? You know, your schnauzer under the table gets to eat the crumbs that, you know, fall from the table. And, you know, I'm here like that schnauzer, that terrier to come and, and, and get some of the crumbs that you're offering to your own children. And he says, go home. Your faith has made your daughter well. But she was a desperate woman, and she was willing to take desperate measures. You think of the woman at the well. Well, What was the first thing Jesus needed to do before that woman could come to faith in him? She needed to be persuaded of her own sin. And I think that's the reason why Jesus says, go call your husband. Because he knew that that was going to sting a little bit. Because at that moment, what does she think? Well, I've had five husbands and the guy I'm living with is not my husband. And, and she realizes she's not lived. That's why she's at the well alone, too. Uh, she has to go get water when the other women aren't there. You know, she probably has taken some of the other women's husbands. And she needs to be convicted of, of that sin before she comes. But she does come to Christ because of it. You think of the Roman centurion. He had a sense of unworthiness. You know, at first he sent for Jesus and then, you know, he has second thoughts about it. And he's like, oh, wait, what did I just do? I'm not worthy to have Jesus come under the roof of my house. And he sends a second servant, you know, go go follow the first servant and, and, and tell him, just say the word. I'm a man under authority. I I'll I'll believe. You have the woman weeping at Jesus' feet and wetting them with her tears, truly broken over sin. This is a desperate woman. You have the woman with the bleeding issue who wants to touch Jesus. She doesn't want it to be discovered. This is a very personal matter. It's an embarrassing thing for her. Uh, But she she comes and she touches him in faith. And when Jesus confronts that and said, who touched me? And the disciples are saying, everybody touched you, Lord. What do you mean? Uh, No, somebody touched me in faith. And the woman, then she comes forward. You think of Zacchaeus. You know, I was thinking about Zacchaeus as I was getting ready for the sermon. I thought, you know, take the Christmas parade we just had this past week. I mean, imagine the richest guy in LaGrange climbing up in the tree <laughs> out in front in, in order to see the parade. Um, you know, the richest guy in LaGrange is probably not going to do that. OK, that's just, you know, but that's what Zacchaeus does. There's a sense of desperation to that. Yeah, this is going to look foolish. Uh, this is this is beneath the, the dignity of my socioeconomic status. But I, I really want Christ that much. I, I want to see him. And, and so he's willing to do that. Uh, and, and so that we, we need the law work as well. Um, if we're going to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So we need both. The, the Lord Jesus Christ um, has come to bring comfort. And I want to say this to those of you who may find yourself afflicted, um, beaten down by the world, by the devil, by sin and all its consequences. Um, that Christ gives us the, the balm of Gilead. Christ does comfort the morning. That blessed, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn. He says in verse 2, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion. That people who, who do feel the effects of this fallen world and they, they, they uh, feel the, the sighing of their heart every day over the things, Lord, that are wrong. Uh, and they come to the Lord with those things. The Lord does what? He gives oil of gladness. Now, this is not fully realized, of course, in this life. And this is where we get back to Revelation 21 and 22, the consummation, which Isaiah spoke of, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eye. But there is yet, even in the midst of grief, there is still yet this joy that the Lord does give us. That He gives us a persevering spirit, the spirit that anointed Christ dwells within us. And he uses these sorrows, these afflictions uh, to help us. To lean on Jesus Christ. Christ has promised us that he would not uh, smother a a flickering wick on a candle. Uh, He has promised that he would not break a bruised reed. And we can bring those promises to the Lord. Uh, The Lord does comfort, comfort his people through the gospel and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is... A mediator and one who is a man of sorrows himself. He was acquainted with grief. And he is able to comfort those who are grieving. Jesus is sympathetic to his brothers and sisters that trust in him. He is is favorable toward them. He uh, desires their ultimate happiness and good. And glory and sanctification. The Lord Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He has come to deliver us from all the consequences of our first Adam. Christ is the one who restores uh, the creation that was destroyed in many ways by Adam and Eve's rejection and rebellion against God. Jesus Christ is making all things new. By his spirit through the gospel. Let me say also for those of you here tonight who may have not embraced Christ yet as your savior. He is one who will not turn you away. If you will start seeking him, if you will pursue him, he will let you find him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is not a hard man. He will not uh, cast you out if you. Sincerely come to him and look to him and trust in him, call upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ um, is a humble man. He he is he is gentle, uh, we are told in the Bible. He is kind. He is not a hard uh task master, but he is a gracious master. He invites sinners to come to him. He welcomes sinners. He is, as the Puritan said, he is friendly to sinners. He desires sinners to come. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not delight in sending people away. But he desires you to come to him and to find comfort in him. Let's pray together.